Well, we are uh, in the second week of a series where we're going through the book of Ruth, and uh, we are calling it the butterfly effect. And we talked about that last week, uh, how that is essentially chaos theory, saying that if a butterfly flutters its wings here or anywhere, uh, that it affects other places. And last week we were talking about how our actions affect everyone else around us and has far-reaching effects. And um, we have a video to help you kind of understand the butterfly effect a little bit better. So here you go. When they came to me with that and they said, can we show it? You think it'll be okay? And I said, if we can't show that at E3, I think that uh, it's time to do something new. So uh, definitely we can uh, enjoy the humor and, and kind of see that maybe uh, the butterfly t- effect taken to an absurd level that... Uh, perhaps this absurd, uh, that, that it can change things. But really what we're looking at is how, how each and every decision that we do make really does make a difference in the scheme of things. And as we look through the, the book of Ruth, just how seemingly very small decisions that are made actually ended up in in the redemption of the world and affects each and every one of us uh, as we sit here today. As we talked about last week, that redemption is ultimately thousands of years later because of of the decisions and the attitudes in the book of Ruth that through that line that Jesus Christ was born. So basically what I'd like you to do is open up your Bibles to Ruth chapter 2. And we're going to continue the story. If you remember last week, uh, the the book of Ruth opened up in a place called Moab, which is outside of of Judah. And uh, there was three women uh, living there. Naomi, who was the mother-in-law, and then there was Ruth and Orpah. And basically that, that... uh, all of their husbands had died, and Naomi decided that she was going to move back to Israel, to Judah, uh, to her homeland, because there was really nothing holding the, her uh, in Moab anymore. And what she did was she released Orpah and Ruth to go back to their their uh, their families and to stay in their country, and Orpah decided to do that, but Ruth decided to go with Naomi back to her people and to go with her and commit herself and bind herself with Naomi. So they went back and specifically to Bethlehem, and this is where we are in the story. So chapter 2. Says now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elmelech. One day Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who was kind enough to let me do it. Naomi replied, All right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters, and as it happened, 
she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elmelech. Well, she was there. Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. The Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. Then Boaz asked his foreman, who is that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? And the foreman replied, she is the young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She had been hard at work ever since, except for a few minutes to rest in the shelter. Boaz went over and said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go to any other fields. Stay right behind the young women working in my field. See which part of the field they are harvesting and then follow them. I've warned the young men not to treat you roughly. And when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water they have drawn from the well. Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness, she asked. I am only a foreigner. Yes, I know, Boaz replied. But I also know about everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you left your father and your mother and your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for all that you have done. I hope I continue to please you, sir, she replied. You have comforted me by speaking so kindly to me, even though I am not one of your workers. At mealtime, Boaz called to her, come over here and help yourself to some food. You can dip your bread in the sour wine. That was actually a good thing, not he wasn't punishing her or anything, like vinegar. So she sat with his harvesters, and Boaz gave her some roasted grain to eat. She ate all she wanted and still had some left over. When Ruth went back to work again, Boaz ordered his young men, let her gather some grain right among the sheaves without stopping her and pull out some heads of the barley from the bundles and drop them on purpose for her. Let her pick them up and don't give her a hard time. So Ruth gathered barley there all day, and when she beat out the grain that evening, it filled an entire basket. Pray with me. Dear God, I just uh, pray that you open up our hearts and minds as we look at the story of Ruth and Naomi and, and Boaz that... You will press upon us uh, the power of our decisions, the power of our reputation, and, and uh, our attitudes. God, just uh, raise us up to walk within the vision that you have for our lives. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you remember in the Revolution series, we uh, had one eve or day that we talked about Saving the world at work. And we talked about different ideas that uh, could make a huge difference in the lives of other people. We talked about little things like when we have uh, office meetings and there's a lot of food left over and, and basically nobody wants it or nobody really needs it, to instead, instead of throwing it away or just kind of doing whatever with it, to actually going and dropping it off at a 
food shelter. Or we also talked about ideas like if uh, a company is doing a promotion and they have lots of pens or pencils left over, things like that. Instead of just having them sit in a back room somewhere, uh, collecting dust and being forgotten and eventually thrown out, to actually finding a school that uh, has under-resourced children in it to so they can have pens and paper and different things like that. That just being aware and intentional about the things that God has blessed us with. We also talked about the principle found in Leviticus and Deuteronomy where, where God is saying, look, when you are reaping uh, your, your fields, when you're harvesting your fields, do not... Uh, go back over a second time and pick up every last little bit. In fact, leave that for the widows and the orphans and the, and the foreigners. And basically you had this, this idea that God is trying to present. In fact, it's more than an idea to the Israelites. This is actually the law. The law of Moses, God was saying, you will do this. And what God is trying to say is, look, don't spend all this extra effort just to get a little bit more. But be aware of the people who are under-resourced around you, the, the downtrodden, to, to be the voice of the oppressed, to think about others, and to leave things open and, and uh, allow them to come. It won't really affect you, and it'll make a world of difference in the lives of the people around you. And... So this is what's happening here is Ruth is and Naomi are sitting there and they're hungry and it's harvest time and they know the law of Moses. So they decide to go out and to or she, the, Ruth to go out to gather some food. Now, it's interesting to see what she says, though, in verse two. And I think it gives us a clue to the spiritual climate of Israel that day. Now, if you've uh, been around church for any length of time or you know your Bible, the Israelites, like us, um, we, we have an ebb and flow to our, our relationship with God. That sometimes the Israelites were extremely committed and devout, but other times they really just did whatever they felt was right. Well, this was one of those times in the, in the story of Israel that, that they weren't as devout, that it was uh, Israel, it was a dark time for them when they were pretty far from God. And we kind of pick up on that in verse 2 when Naomi says, look, I'm going to go and try to get some grain. And here's quoting from verse 2, by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. Basically, in that time in Israel, that it just wasn't a given. It wasn't a given that, that uh, a Jew was going to follow the law of Moses. And she's like, I, you know, I'm going to hopefully go out there and instead of us starving to death, that maybe somebody is still obeying by that law. And you might, you know, and, and she came along and it says it so happens that she found herself working in the field that belonged to Boaz. You see, Boaz decided that he was going to follow that law. And you may be sitting there and go, well, of course he did. You know, he's in the Bible. And Bible people always do the right, you know, Bible-type 
things. So, of course, you know, and a lot of times our minds go to this kind of like fictional, you know, Bible person who, you know, walks around and, and always does the right thing. But all you got to do really is open up your Bible. The Bible is mostly about people doing the wrong thing. I mean, it just, uh, and, and God bringing them back into a relationship with him, with them. With him, sorry. And, uh, and basically what you have here is Boaz is doing what God has called him to do. Now, Boaz is a really, he's a real guy. Boaz has a choice here. In fact, it sounds like that most of his, his uh, fellow farmers were choosing not to honor God in this way. I mean, really, on the, on the, on the face of it, why should they? Why, why would they leave a corner of their, their fields unharvested? Why would they not go back and get every last little grain that they could? Because, after all, it's rightfully theirs. It's their fields. It was their seed. It was their sweat and their labor and their investment to have all of these crops grow up, so why shouldn't they get every last little thing out of it? And basically, here is the tension. You see, Boaz says, you know what, I'm just going to abide by this principle. I'm going to abide by this principle that I'm not going to do. And it didn't mean that, that Boaz didn't have desires. It didn't mean that there wasn't things that he wanted that he could probably get if he did harvest everything. That, that what, it, what it meant was that this was a man who was looking at what God had his vision for his life and the principles that he had laid out for him and saying, you know what, even though there's things that I want, I'm going to yield my personal desires to what God wants for me. And because he did that, it set into course a whole bunch of, of things that were going to happen in the future, ending up in the redemption of the world. Boaz is not any different than you or I. You see, you know, we think about, you know, God wanting us to be the conduit of His grace and His mercy and to give Him our first fruits and, and things like that. And we're always constantly in this tension. You know, there's so much that we could want to do or, or could do if we just felt like we just held on or we got every last little bit. But what happens is when we do that, one, we, we stop the, the conduit of God's love and grace and become a dam. But the other thing is, it does something to our hearts. And I think probably one of the most powerful things for Boaz, not getting harvesting every last little grain, and, and the power in us being aware of our surroundings and, and being generous and, and looking at for people who we can love and be the tangible hand of Christ. That, that it does something to our hearts. It, it, it makes us less greedy. It, it, it makes us more aware and connects us to a bigger picture of what God sees. So this is kind of a, a butterfly effect because of this decision that, that Boaz is going to, to allow foreigners and widows to 
to harvest off of his off of his fields that eventually he will meet Ruth and they will fall in love and they will get married and through that line the redemption of the world Jesus Christ is born now I'm often asked well what if Boaz didn't do that or or some sort of situation like that what if I don't do what God wants me to do you know what about you know what about this predestination or, or free will or, or all these kind of things? How does, how does that all work in the place? Well, I really don't know exactly how it all works, but this is one thing that, that I think in my limited understanding is that God has an overarching plan that, that you know, regardless of what Boaz did or didn't do, whatever decision that he did or did not make, that God still had a plan to come to earth, to, to die for our sins so we could have the opportunity of redemption and having a relationship with our eternal Father. Now, that was going to happen regardless. And what I believe Boaz did by being obedient, he was able to become part of the story of God. Or take even a step back at the, at the decision, there was two women, Ruth and Orpah, who, who were going with Naomi back to Judah. And, and Naomi says, look, Ruth, Orpah, go back to your own people, your own gods, your, your own family, your own land. You don't need to go with me. And one said, Sounds like a good idea. Catch you later, mother-in-law. Nice knowing you. Back to Moab I go. You know, Moab or bust, whatever. You know, that, and where did she go? She, she, was she wrong? You know, we don't, I don't want to beat up on her, but she exits basically the, the written story of God where Ruth decides in this butterfly moment to go. And it changes everything. And because of that, that she had the opportunity to be part of the story of God and the ultimate redemption of the world. Now, Ruth is an interesting person. And, and I want to shift here from talking about maybe the, the specific decision that she made and actually to look at the character of her, the, the values of Ruth. Because I think that these are as almost just as important as the actual decisions that she makes. That she made a decision long before she was faced with these decisions of the type of person that she was going to be. And there's a few verses that kind of give us a, a, a peephole or a looking glass into what her character was. First in verse 7, where... Uh, Boaz was asking about her and asking, hey, who is this woman uh, to his, his supervisor, one of his supervisors? And this is what he says. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She has been hard at work ever since, except for a few minutes to rest in the shelter. Right here, her reputation is already preceding her that she is a hard worker. That she is out there and she, she doesn't have a sense of entitlement. She, she's not asking other people to do things for her, but she is out there and she is working hard. Another thing that we know about Ruth is that she was loyal. 
He was loyal to Naomi. Another verse here that gives us a glimpse of her character or of how she conducts herself is in verse 10. After Boaz says, look, I've talked to my supervisors. I've even talked to my workers and said, look, I don't want them to treat you roughly. Essentially, uh, in that day, that, that widows and orphans uh, and foreigners uh, who were uh, harvesting behind the, the harvesters, that many times a lot of horrific things would happen, that they were beaten or, or they could be raped and all these kind of things, that it was basically, if you're on our land, we're just going to take advantage of you and you're going to pay for this grain one way or another. And what Boaz is doing here is saying, look, Ruth, I have told my men that they are not to mess with you, that you are allowed to come in and you are able to do this. And it's interesting, Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness, she asked. I am only a foreigner. Now it's interesting, you're... You may be thinking, well, of course she did that. Well, maybe not, of course she did that. You see, she knew the law of Moses. I mean, God said that she essentially was owed this, that Boaz had to do this. But instead of having this sense of entitlement, instead of saying, look, Boaz, that you know what? God says, you have to let me do this, so you just have to do it, and you don't really have any say in it, that you owe me. No, quite the difference, that, that she, she comes with a spirit of humility and, and respect, and she falls to his feet, which is uh, uh, a symbol of respect in those days, saying, hey, I, have, I see your authority, and I see what you're doing, and I appreciate it and then finally in verse 13 we get another glimpse of who she is as a person it says that Boaz here is is saying look I know about your reputation I know what you did for your mother-in-law I know how hard of a worker you are and all these things and she says this to him he says I hope to continue to please you sir he replied, you have comforted me speaking so kindly to me, even though I am not one of your workers. And she's sitting there and she's grateful. She realizes that, that not only is he abiding by the law, but he is going above and beyond that. And she is grateful. Now, when you look at these kind of things all together, that you look at that she's hardworking, that she's respectful, that she's loyal, and that she's grateful, that these things build her reputation in this town that preceded her to Boaz. And because of her attitude, it changes how Boaz interacts with her. That, that it changes things and the same is true for us that our attitudes our outlook how we interact with people that that our worldview on our entitlements versus gratitude and all those kind of things 
drastically affect and can open and close doors for us. I mean, we look at it, and obviously doors are opening for Ruth because of her hard work, because of her respect, because of her loyalty, and because of her gratitude. But what if she was the other way? I mean, what would have happened if you know, she, she wanted to be more like her mother-in-law who changed her name to Mara, which means bitter in Hebrew? That she just wanted to be bitter. After all, she's a young woman. She, she you know, could have, could have uh, you know, gone back to her people, but she feels like she had to be the martyr in the situation. I mean, could you imagine? Uh, you know, both of them are sitting there, and Naomi is saying, look, Orpah and Ruth, you know, hey, you guys can go back to your own country, and, Ru- and Ruth is about to go, oh, okay, but then Orpah jumps in and says, all right. I'm out of here. Okay, catch you guys later. And then Ruth is in there saying, oh, great. Now I'm stuck with the mother-in-law. And how could I, how could I turn my back on her now? And, and because of that, her whole attitude shifts. And she decides that she's going to be Mara Jr., you know, bitter like Naomi. And, and she's just going to take it out on the world. And, and instead of being hardworking, you know, she just sits around maybe with with you know, Mara Sr., and they just sit around being bitter together and saying, well, why, why isn't Boaz, you know, taking care of us? And why aren't these people taking care of us? And what's going on here? And we're not going to do squat or be respectful like all oh, those rich people, all they care about is themselves. Or, you know, and if somebody does do something nice for them, you know, instead of being grateful, just like, yeah, well, they, they should have done that anyway. And who do they think they are giving us charity, whatever? You know, what kind of doors would open for her? I mean, last week we talked about our decisions matter now and in the future and affect everyone around us. But equally as important is our attitudes and how we carry out those decisions. That it matters not only to God, it matters not only to ourselves, but it matters to everyone around us. I mean, basically, without sounding too new age or something like that, our energy, our vibe that we give off, you know, people, you know, people who are just negative all the time, when they walk in the room, it just kind of like, oh, it just kind of sours everything. And then there's those people who come in and they're happy. Not too happy because those people are annoying. But, uh, but like the right amount of happiness, you know, a respectful happiness, you know, uh, to a level. And, and, just, and you're like, oh, I'm really happy to see this person and, it, and it's awesome and, and things like that, that, that it, it lifts up the whole room. You know, uh, I've heard it say about Michael Jordan that the, the biggest thing about him wasn't his talent, but that he elevated the play of everyone around him. You know, do we elevate the play of everyone around us? Do we inspire people to be better with us around than they would be if we weren't around? The power of our attitudes. You know, ultimately, those of us who call ourselves followers of Christ 
that, that we're ambassadors of Christ, that, that our attitudes and our decisions are reflections on who we serve. And if we have crummy uh, attitudes, if, if we're always a downer, if we, we have an entitlement attitude, if, if uh, we're disrespectful, that is ultimately reflecting poorly on the God who we follow and has effect of how people see our God. You see, it matters. The decisions we make matter. Our attitudes matter. And they have much farther implications than we could ever imagine. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this story of, of Ruth. Uh, as we look at this young woman as she goes through life. No, she doesn't do everything right, but she does a lot of things. That she has an amazing character, and um, we just thank you for allowing us to walk along Boaz and Naomi and, and Ruth as they go through life and, and try to honor you and do what you've called them to do. Let us elevate what we do as well. We love you, Lord. Amen.